Greetings and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. I'm an author, coach, and healer. Thank you for joining us today as we explore sex, shame, and intimacy. My guest today is Christopher Lovestone. Christopher is a sex educator, couples counselor, and author of the book, Conscious Cock, The Empowered Sexuality Manual for Men. Now, most men do not talk openly about sex. I mean real sex, not just talking about porn and fantasy. And we certainly do not gather and talk about our penises, but we will today. Christopher points out how we use terms for our genitals to put each other down, which just adds to our overall shame around sex. We explore the importance of authenticity, curiosity, and a willingness to be wrong. Christopher shares some common shame and fears that men have around sex and tools to improve our intimacy in relationships. He also shares the biggest shame that he's overcome. Let's get to it. Hey, Christopher, welcome to Real Men Feel. Man, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for having this show. This conversation about bringing the topic of like authenticity to men in the world is such a needed thing in the world. I totally agree. And that's a big part of the mission. You know, so much of Real Men Feel is about having conversations that most men aren't having, but that all men can benefit from. And today is certainly going to be one of those. Your book is called Conscious Cock which I obviously, I have a copy. If you're watching video, I have a copy here. I intentionally have not read it. I like to read things after the guests because I feel like most listeners haven't read it. I don't like to turn it into like a book club. So what does it mean to be or have a conscious cock? You know, it's a double entendre. It's a pun. Cock refers to two things. Yes, our penis definitely refers to that, but it also refers to a rooster. And, you know, that's because I spent two, three years searching the world for an icon of positive, healthy, embodied masculinity. And I just couldn't find one. Sure, there's superheroes. I got Superman. You know, he's iconic. Or you could say an archetype, right? A symbol for positive, healthy masculinity. And I just... I failed until I came to the rooster. Now, most people say, oh, roosters, chickens, ah, oh, these little cluck, cluck things, you know, oh, you're a chicken. Like that has meaning that you're like weak and, and cowardly. But when you actually look at the, the rooster as an archetype, when you look at his version of masculinity with the flock of hens, it's a really interesting thing. He's very powerful. I mean, you can hear his crow for miles. His voice is clear. And that's something that's can be a positive thing if we're trying to make change in the world. And he really looks after the flock. He's always taking care of them. And he will fight to the death to protect them. And he's also really beautiful to look at. You look at his feathers. And if you've ever seen a cockfight or an image of a cockfight in a movie, two roosters fighting, they can be vicious. I mean, no fear. Very powerful. So I, I was like, that's a very interesting symbol for masculinity. But then let's take that and let's put some consciousness on it. Now, I don't mean meditating. I'm not talking about sacredness. What I'm talking about is not being asleep, not just playing out unconscious patterns that we've learned from our caregivers and mother culture and media throughout our lives, but actually kind of like waking up and choosing our actions rather than doing them as reactions, unconscious reactions. So conscious cock is about embodying our sexual power and our masculinity, both of them in a positive way, you know, not 
cutting ourselves off from our sexual power and becoming asexual beings with no virility, but actually embodying our sexuality in a beautiful, positive way that's helpful. And that correspondingly, women, heterosexual women will respond well to. Yeah. I've skimmed the book and one, what might be like the first line in the book jumped out at me. It's, it's from a poem called Conscious Cock is Medicine. If men understood the value of a well-fucked woman, they would have no choice but to prioritize their sexual evolution. And it made me think of, you know, the old saying, uh, behind every good man is a good woman, but is it behind every successful, empowered man is a well-fucked woman? You, you know, it's kind of funny to think about that. And we kind of like, oh, guffaw to think about it. Like, oh, is that, that's not politically correct. We can't say that. But there's this concept of a well-fucked woman that's espoused by a sex educator named Kim Anami. And she's very famous and about her, her vocalness about the benefits of regular, good, high-quality sex for a woman. She's a proponent of inspiring women to accept their desires for sex their uh, enjoyment of sex and pleasure and their bodies rather than feel, living in a life of shame and judgment about it. Because women, you know, they, they, they cover up and, you know, they're, they're afraid to show their bodies a lot of times. You know, they, they feel a lot of judgment from men. If they show themselves, maybe they're going to be harassed or catcalled, you know, so they're, they're, there's a lot of fear that they live with every day. Maybe they've been stalked. Maybe somebody has followed them or harassed them or raped them or abused them or hurt them. You know, like there's a lot of fear. So Kimonami's concept of a well-fucked woman is about providing women a roadmap to, if they want accept a part of themselves more fully that is embodying their pleasure and their sexuality in a healthy way. And she like orgasms, she is a proponent of orgasms every day. Like just get the pleasure, get the oxytocin and the serotonin, all these hormones that are natural in our bodies that make us feel good, feel happy. Well, those are released during orgasm. So she's really a superstar, you know, leading the way for people to, for women to relax into feeling okay about their own desire for pleasure and to receive it from a man if they're heterosexual. So that poem is referencing that concept that a woman who's getting her sexual needs, her deep sexual needs met, not her superficial, like, oh, I'm a good mom role level needs, but the ones that normally she's, she hides and suppresses, if those are really getting fed and nourished and she's getting her needs met and she's full, her tanks are full, like she's saying she reaches a new level of power in her life, creativity, inspiration, will, resonance with other people. The part of that for a man in a heterosexual relationship is that he can be the jet fuel, the rocket fuel for her unfolding. And that once she gets into this place of kind of like becoming a sexual goddess or something like that, powerful sexual being without shame, past her shame, that then she turbocharges his life. And he's getting to live with a goddess or be in relationship with this powerful sexual being. And that that really adds a lot of juice to his life. What initially drew you to work with sexuality? You know, it's been in my natural desire for me my entire life. You know, since just before puberty, I had an intense desire to learn everything I can learn about sex and intimacy, relationships and communication, how to make relationships succeed rather than fail every three years and reboot and try somebody new. Like, ah, that, I don't like that paradigm. I really wanted my own life to, to have a really saucy, hot, engaged, long-term relationship for my entire life. 
Like I really want to grow old, still being embodied and sexual and exploring pleasure. Like until I'm 90, you know, I don't want to dry up. I don't want to stop evolving. I want to continue to unfold in this life as long as I've got. So I've studied it my entire life since just before puberty. But I thought I was going to be a teacher. And then I thought, oh, I'll be a doctor. But neither of those were a good fit for me. And as I uncovered what was really a good fit for me, I peeled back all these layers of shame that I didn't know I had. Repression. I can't talk about sex. I can't be a sex educator. I can't be a relationship counselor. Who does that? I didn't know anybody who could do that. I was just so repressed. Like I had so much judgment about that not being culturally appropriate. Not, not seeing anybody talk about it openly ever in my life. But as I dove into trying to find in my life what's really authentic for me, which was a multiple-year process, it came out like, yeah, I really want to talk about sex. I really want to talk about relationships. I really want to talk about intimacy, pitfalls, and minefields, and help people navigate through them because I've gotten really good at it. It's kind of cracked the code and seen, like, had the matrix veil lifted from my eyes and see how the game is just rigged for our failure. But if we switch the rules up, we actually have a chance to succeed. So we are both children of divorce, but I know that you're a child of a lot of divorce. So was it seeing, is that what had this interest begin at such a young age? Yeah, my mother had multiple divorces, but then her partners also had divorces that directly affected me and there was cheating involved. And then somebody would would leave their first partner and then go live with their second partner, but then that one would break. And, you know, so it was just this horrible tumult and turmoil and it caused so much pain. I mean, vicious four-year-long lawsuits that cost everybody tens of thousands of dollars. And they're just enemies hurling the worst fireballs and judgments at each other you can imagine. Like just the worst that people can bring out of each other. I lived in that. That was the air that I breathed every day, this dysfunction, this pain, this constant failure. And I said, I, I don't want that. Like it repelled me and repulsed me. I said, I don't want to be like that. I want to find a different way. Now, some people, they just repeat the patterns that they grew up with, and some people reject it. So for me, I rejected that. I said, no, I have a clear reference point of what I don't want. I've got to go some other direction, even though I didn't know exactly where to go. So I just said, let me be a sponge. Let me study what authors write and imbibe any positive tools that I can possibly get my hands on. And I've just never stopped. So did you have a sense when you were growing up of what masculinity was, or did you only have a sense of, well, I don't like what this is. So if, you know, there must be something else or. How oh yeah, that sure. Evolve? Guys all yeah. around me and, you know, guys at school and my age bracket, plus my stepfathers, because I had multiple ones, plus my biological father, like and, and there was so much addiction and there was so much harassment and abuse and self-centeredness. And that I just I had lots of reference points for masculinity, but I didn't like any of them. None of them were actually inspiring to me, captivated my interest and inspired me to, to better myself in any way. Like I, I just had reference points of, oh, you're just a jerk or you're just like a harassing addict or like all these guys that I just like, oh, you're just stuck in a box and you can't see the light of day. Like all these reference points that just said, no, I don't, I, a million reference points of who I didn't want to be, but nobody that I wanted to copy. So I had to invent my own version of masculinity, or I had to become the father I never had, the man I never saw. I like it. We could say it that way. Cool. Yeah. I, I say all the time that the only definition of masculinity that matters is yours. So if, if you're living one, you're surrounded by one that doesn't feel good, like then yeah, make your own, you know, search for the roosters, right? Search for something better to model or create it in your own life. So good on you for doing that. You know, we talked about shame has come up for men and for women. 
What do you think our sexual shame is rooted in? Our cultural attitudes. You know, most of us are in, who listen to this are probably in North America, although in the global age, people could be listening anywhere in the world, but our culture is the North American culture. And I've got to say that it's really fucked when it comes to sexualizing things. Our media hypersexualizes even the most mundane things like swimwear or clothing, socks, like sports drinks, these things like in advertisements get sexualized and you get these supermodels who've got, I don't know, let's say $20,000 worth of plastic surgery, you know, in their portfolio of their body image that are set an unrealistic expectation for what a body can look like. And then there's the image editors in Photoshop who are cutting and tweaking and squishing and expanding. Like what we see in these images is not human reality. It's accentuated for sales. Things are so hypersexualized in all the media around us, yet we denigrate and we censor sexuality also. Like, for example, let's say there's a movie and a married couple's in bed and they're just waking up in the morning, but maybe they slept naked. Like, you can't see in United States cinema the guy get out of bed naked and walk to the bathroom and actually see his, his cock dangle while he's walking. Like, the cock, the penis is considered, oh no, we can't see that, even though it's the source of all life, period. The source of all life, but no, we can't see that. The nipple. We could get into the conversation about the nipple on Facebook, right? You know, it's it, we're so hypersexualized on one end of the spectrum, but on the other end of the spectrum, so sexually repressed. And we also don't have any words in the English language of reverence for our genitals. We have medical, clinical, and we have derogatory. Oh, he's such a dick. It's the go-to phrase that people use to describe somebody that's a detestable person, somebody who's really a jerk, self-centered, right? Oh, don't be a pussy. Okay, that's our go-to phrase for somebody who's maybe being cowardly or conservative or concerned. But like, <laughs> these are the source of all life. <laughs> Some people say life is sacred. That life comes from the divine. Now, I'm not, you know, going into that. I'm not talking about transcendent sex and stuff like that. But for a lot of people, especially women who are mothers and have conceived a child and carried it, life is sacred. And so, sex has this element of sacredness. So then why are we denigrating our genitals if they're the source of life and life is sacred? So in Sanskrit, India, basically, they have some different cultural values. It's a different culture, different history, right? And different spiritual and religious beliefs. And so they have words in their language of reverence for the genitals, where they're looked on as a positive, beautiful thing. Imagine something in your life that you just revere. It's precious to you. Maybe it's holy to you. And you think about that, you know, having a word to describe that feeling is useful. You can wrap your brain around it, but we don't have a word like that in the English language for our genitals. So we can't wrap our brain around the concept of our genitals as a precious thing to revere, to maybe even worship. And when you talk about that in the realm of actually having sex, worshiping your partner's genitals, like worshiping, lavishing attention, the most loving care that you can give, the most pleasure you can offer, just worshiping them. It feels so amazing to be worshiped by your partner. But how can you do that if you don't have a concept of the genitals as worthwhile, inherently beautiful, precious. So there's this concept in Sanskrit, uh, yoni, 
Y-O-N-I, which refers to the vulva or the vagina, the pussy in general. And then for penis, uh, lingam, L-I-N-G-H-A-M, lingam. Those are positive words of reverence and care and adoration. So there's so much to living in North America that limits our view of, of sex and piles shame on our shoulders that we don't even know about because it's the air that we're breathing or the water we're swimming in. And I never thought of, again, how we put down each other and yeah, it, pussy, a dick, asshole, it's, it's all genitalia is the worst thing you can call somebody. Yet it should be this sacred, holy, you know, source of life, all these high value, high level things. And it's like the hypersexualization of things. It's like we allow sex if it's for the sake of marketing and making a buck, but if it's actual physical intimacy, then no, no, that's when it's bad. <laughs> I know, right? I was trying to get an article published on NBC and just talking about couples counseling, just like helping couples with intimacy issues and COVID, the pressure cooker of not being able to leave your house and only being able to have one friend, you know, they refuse to publish it. Total censorship on anything related to intimacy. But we can talk about war and we can talk about rape and we can talk about murder all day long. We can talk about profit making all day long, but we can't even have a conversation about intimacy, let alone pleasure. So how are we supposed to let go of escape from the prison of the shame if we don't have avenues available for us to hear about it? So thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> you know, And I keep finding shame shows up for so many of the the clients, men and women, that there is this, especially men, we're even ashamed that we have shame. So there's like layers upon layers. And, and I find that so many guys, we're driven by fear, fear of someone discovering that we're ashamed. So is there, you know, one main thing that you find men are ashamed of that's affecting sexuality the most? That's a great question. Appreciate the way you phrased that. A lot of guys are ashamed of the size of their cock. That's a very real thing. And I would just say the majority of guys are average size. If you were to graph penile length or girth on an X and Y axis, it's a bell curve. Most guys fall in the middle of the bell curve, just statistically speaking. So most guys are average, but most guys that I talk to, they don't like what they see when they look in the mirror. So they're ashamed of that. They try to cover themselves up from their partner a lot. So they're not seen like getting in and out of the shower, maybe, you know, so there's a lack of confidence there because <laughs> where do we see penises <laughs> in porn? And those are actors who are often paid by the inch of length of their cock. Or maybe they're taking stamina meds like Viagra, or maybe they've had penile enhancement surgery, like injecting fatty adipose tissue to give them extra girth. I've even heard of penile transplant surgery now, where you can actually have a larger cock from somebody else who died and put on your body. And then there's other ways to increase the length and girth. That guys go through great lengths. The professionals are professionals. They're not the top of the bell curve. They're not you and me. But th those are the only penises that we actually see because we don't see them in movies. Maybe you're in the locker room, but there's a lot of shame there of not feeling good enough because of the banter of superiority that can occur in fist bumping bro culture which starts at a young age in high school. Like, oh, you haven't lost your virginity yet? Like, you know, the pressure, the comparison is just thrust on us from such a young age and we carry it into our adult relationships usually, unless we unpack that. But we don't really normally have role models for how to unpack that because we don't talk about this stuff because it's not normal to talk about our penises. Guys don't talk about their penises together. It's not a conversation. 
compare, perform, achieve. Don't talk about it. Don't get caught looking at anybody's dick in a locker room. Oh my God, that'll be the death of you, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, we're so we're. It's like we have this distorted extra sense of privacy, or or I mean, going back to North American culture, like the United States was founded by religious Puritans is really is embedded in our ancestral DNA to be here. <laughs> they were so uptight that the British kicked them out. <laughs> right. Yeah. We were too uptight for the UK. So we brought all of our restrictions and shame and made a new country out of that. Yeah. I, I spent many years of my life in Massachusetts or Plymouth Rock where they landed. Very puritanical. So sexually repressed. The opposite of healthy sexual empowerment. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. And again, we, so I am still in Massachusetts and when we first talked, discovered we're both from here. And yeah, this is, I would not say New England is known for its uh, conscious cock kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. It's known for other areas of liberalness in which it's maybe you could say a beacon or a lighthouse shining out to the States for liberalism, but not in terms of sexual education and sexual empowerment. So with so much focus on Conscious sexuality, sacred sexuality, is a man more than his cock? Can be. He definitely can be. That doesn't necessarily have to be. And I know a lot of guys who are really kind of stuck in their masculinity as only being sourced in their penis or their sexuality as being only sourced in their penis. They don't understand how to use their entire body as a sexual organ. That might be a new concept to people. What do you mean use my whole body as a sexual organ? Well, there's a whole, like your hands, your fingers are the most dexterous, capable, and sensitive parts of your entire body. That's why master craftsmen can achieve such amazing works of art because our hands are so powerful. So our hands are way better at providing pleasure, <laughs> for example, to the clitoris or the G-spot or the cervix or the A-spot spot than our penises. Just because they're so sensitive, they're so nimble, they can be so precise with the depth of our pressure, with the speed. And they, when we use our hands, we can use them for an hour and we, you know, it's not going to make us come. So like we, we got lots of endurance with 10 fingers you know, and you can shift from one hand to the other if one gets tired. You don't have two penises to shift from one to the other if one gets tired or is about to come. You know, like, so our hands are amazing, but a lot of guys are just, they, they only have ever seen really in porn guys just doing the jackrabbit humping dog thing with monster cocks. And that, that's their version of, of sex. And they don't know any different than that. That's the sex education that they've gotten. But like the art of giving hand jobs or worshiping with your hands is something that they've never seen or learned about. And it's an amazingly empowering thing for a guy to learn how to please a woman and take her to the peaks of pleasure repeatedly <laughs> with 10 tools in his toolkit right here that don't get exhausted. And then not to worry that like, oh, he can't get her to the peak with his penis because maybe he comes you know, in a minute because she feels so good that he just can't not come. It can be the most worrying thing to be in lovemaking and worry that you're not going to last as long as you want to last. And we get in our heads about it. And then that creates anxiety and tension. And we maybe are holding our breath and like uh, resisting and that accelerates the orgasm. And then like things can fall apart and we don't feel as successful as we want to feel. We don't give as much pleasure as we want to give. And it ends up being a missed opportunity. So we can be so much more than our penis. It's a simple practice. If you just practice once in a while saying, okay, this time when we have intercourse, I'm not going to let myself come, period. No orgasm for me this time. Just 
try that on and see how much pleasure can you share? How much pleasure can you receive? How much pleasure can you give without your orgasm being the final chapter in the story? And then you close the cover of the book and you're done for the night. Like that simple practice of sharing pleasure without your orgasm being the goal or the end point opens the door, cracks the door open to a whole new world of possibilities and use your hands, use your mouth and explore what pleasure you can create with other tools than your cock. I think that's such a, for the average guy, coming is the goal. And busy lifestyle, if you have kids and multiple jobs and even with the COVID, taking, keeping yourself at home, especially the American uh, you know, motive of sex is like, you know, the, the quickie, let's get over with, like get in, get out. You know, well, you can still and, have that. You can still have your orgasm, even with this practice. It just You can just practice with your, your partner sometimes saying, yeah, just personally, you don't even have to tell her uh, unless you want to. You know, just practice that. Yeah, this time I'm just going to try to like enjoy. How much pleasure can I enjoy and share and give without allowing myself to come? Like, just don't use my penis. So I'm not getting stimulated and I don't create an orgasm. You can go masturbate to have an orgasm in the shower later. You can make yourself come anytime you want to. You're not removing your orgasm from the table or your life. You're just maybe beginning a practice that opens the door to a whole new world of sharing pleasure. One thing I really like about the book, Conscious Cock, the Empowered Sexuality Manual for Men, is that it's not just, uh, you know, fucking better. Like there are exercises and, you know, it really is a manual. There's things to do and activities. So it's not just some intellectual read. It's not like a reading letters to forum or something like that, right? It's really empowering. And yeah, I mean, it's the sex education that probably most guys never had. Oh, exactly. But what I'm doing is different than standard sex education because I'm also bringing in addressing some of our cultural beliefs that we might even know that we have. So basically installing some upgrades in our operating system that like outdated beliefs and patterns and points of view on the world. So first we got to update that, set our mindset for success. Then I teach understanding women because most guys are confused by women. They don't understand them. They don't understand their menstrual cycle and the impacts that that has on their life. They don't understand how to be a health ally to them. And then I get into actual modern sex education, modern advanced human sexual anatomy and physiology, for example. Guys do not know the pleasure map of the entire female reproductive system. Maybe they know about the clit, but maybe they only know about the tip of the clit. Maybe they don't know about the internal structure of the clitoris that's actually under her labia. Maybe they don't know about the A spot. What's the A spot? The AFE zone. Maybe they don't know about that. Maybe they don't know about how there's this place on the front side of the cervix that creates, in a lot of women, rapid lubrication abundant lubrication. Maybe they don't exactly understand the G-spot. Maybe they have a general idea where it is, but they don't actually understand that it's actually a tube, a sleeve, just like the penis is a tube or a sleeve around our urethra. So is the G-spot. It's called the urethral sponge. It's like internal cock for the woman. Anyway, if they don't understand the accurate information, they're just shooting in the dark. So I teach accurate modern information. And there's so much that's been uncovered about female sexual anatomy and physiology in the last 20 years by female researchers that hasn't been published in a lot of the mainstream medical journals, which are dominated by male editors. So I bring that information to the table. I'm like, here, you guys, you got to have good information. You got to have a good roadmap. You got to have a GPS if you're going to go in there in the dark. You know, then I go into relationship intimacy strategies, communication tools that kindle the fire of your emotional and heart connection. And then the last thing I teach is sex technique, okay? How to actually do oral sex. Maybe not just fumbling in the dark, but like, and then the exercises and worksheets at the end that you can do some homework by yourself or with your partner, 
she can fill out a worksheet. You can fill out a worksheet and you can find out some sexual fantasies that you might not have ever known that you both had in common. Super useful stuff. So it's a how-to manual. It's a really simple kind of like toss it in your pocket, you know, kind of thing of like understanding how to succeed in long-term relationship and keep it spicy and get your sexual desires met. It was striking me as like a, an owner's manual for everyone's genitalia. <laughs> how to use your car and their car, right? <laughs> that was my first book tagline before I came up with the Empowered Sexuality Manual for Men. It was Conscious Cock, an owner's manual. But anyway, whatever. So what are some of those common beliefs or sources of shame that guys aren't even aware of that are there? What are, what are some of those? One of the main ones is that we pretend to have everything figured out. The quintessential example is that I don't need to ask for directions. I'm so capable. I can get us there or not admitting when we're lost. You know, that's just like the cliche, but it's a cliche because it's common, right? That is an attitude of, I know everything I need to know already. That's an attitude. If we let go of that attitude and shift to beginner's mind, shift to perspective of openness that I don't believe that I know everything. I'm not God. I'm not omniscient, right? There's a lot that I don't know. I'm going to stop pretending to be the man. And I'm just going to be honest that like, I've got a lot of experience and I know a lot, but I'm going to be realistic that there's a lot that I don't know. That engages a reflex of curiosity, which is the anti-venom to arrogance. It's the anti-venom to being a macho jerk is to come into an attitude of curiosity. It also brings you into the present moment because you can't just be in your head thinking you got everything figured out. You know everything that is out there that you should need to know about. No, it switches you into a perspective of engagement where you're actually receptive and open-minded and curious, but you're also clear on the things that you believe and that you know, and you can communicate them also. That's the kind of dance partner that a person can have. Somebody who's engaged, but also confident. Yeah. We need a healthy willingness to be wrong. And, you know, I, growing up, I was depressed and suicidal. I thought life sucks, then you die. And now I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I'm wrong. I love discovering wrong mindsets. Like, oh, good. I was wrong about that. Super. You know, everything's better than I thought. And, you know, that willingness, that, that curiosity, that openness. But yeah, I, I agree with you. One of the biggest, you know, masks of bullshit that men wear is get it all figured out. I know, I know all there is to know. Don't need your help. You know, no, I don't need that book. Conscious cock, silly. I got a cock. That's all I need, right? No one's complaining. You know, I don't have yeah. anyone, but no one's complaining. <laughs> yeah. Or you're in a long-term just... relationship with somebody and after X number of years, her interest in you dies. Maybe it's a slow withering on the vine, but eventually she just doesn't want to have sex with you anymore. How many guys come to me and say, my wife doesn't want to have sex with me anymore. Why? What am I doing wrong? I'm trying to serve her in all the ways that I can serve her, but she doesn't want me anymore. And I'm like, well, how actually interested are you in like how she's evolving? How interested are you in like her perspectives this year? Like what's up for her in her heart and in her mind now? How much have you solicited from her about what she's afraid of, what her worries are, what her fantasies are, her desires, her unmet desires? You know, because our dreams can wither on the vine too, especially in COVID. And a lot of people love to travel. Maybe, oh, one day I want to go to France or Bali, you know, pick your destination. But like, if your dream withers on the vine, then, you know, God, can trigger this kind of collapse in your heart. And if a guy isn't reaching in to find her heart, which is a moving target, she's going to feel like he doesn't get her. And if 
she feels like he doesn't get her for long enough. Like her sexual availability, openness, desire, all shrivel. So of course she's not going to want to have sex with you if she doesn't feel like you actually get her inside and respect her, you know? And then that adds more shame. I can't make my wife, I can't make my partner feel anything or they're not interested in me. And, you know, man will internalize that and, and dare not speak of it because we got it all figured out. So all, all these things build on each other, I find. And I got to say, I'm just going to interrupt you. It's not all the guy's responsibility. I just got to say that I do not want anybody to listen to this and think that I'm espousing that we put her on a pedestal and everything revolves around her. I'm not saying that at all. She very well may be a jerk. She very well may may be completely self-centered. She might be in toxic patterns. Like, you know, we can try to find her beating heart, which is a moving target. And she can be emotionally unavailable. She could have so much armor on or project on. So like, it's not all under our responsibility. All we can control is what we want to do. But if she's withering, if her desire for you is withering, you do have things under your power. And if she doesn't feel like you're seeking her, why is she going to want to open to you? Right. So what are some techniques to boost intimacy? So things, people just don't, things aren't going well. We both shut up and just drift even further apart. What, what are some tools to increase intimacy so these conversations can happen in a partnership? Number one, you got to learn how to bring up the conversation in the first place in a way that doesn't trigger her to run away or trigger her to get angry at you or trigger her to shut down or something like that. Now you can't control everything. What I'm talking about is, is likelihood of success. If you learn how to bring something up in a way that has a higher likelihood of going well, then that's a good tool in your toolkit. Like there's an exercise for that in the back of the book. There's a free download on my website on the consciouscock.com slash downloads about how to bring up the hard stuff. So learn about how to bring something up. Give her a handle to hold on to. Give her some frame of reference. Preface it a little bit so you're not blindsiding her, right? You know, that gives you a higher likelihood of something going well. And then you can have conversations like, for example, wow, COVID's been really hard. <laughs> and I've felt, and I think you see also that like our intimacy is suffering and hurting. And I would like to investigate with you if there's any ways that we can both work on kindling that fire a little bit more in, in ways that feel good to both of us. Would you be interested in something like that? I don't know how to do it, but would you be interested in the category of doing some work on rekindling our fire? Maybe she's got some awesome tools that she might want to bring to the table too, right? So learning how to bring these things up gives you the chance to discuss them. We can't change a thing we're not aware of. So if everyone just denies it, then the real withering really kicks in and takes over. Yeah. You can't be real. You can't be authentic if you can't bring it up. Now, you might not be in a relationship that's safe for you to bring it up. She might just like scream at you or something like that. You know, you, everybody knows their own, own situation, but you can increase the likelihood of things going well by giving yourself communication tools that are new and powerful, modern communication tools. So Christopher, to be able to write this book, to be able to speak so freely about sex, sexuality, and all the hangups people have with it, you've had to overcome a lot of your own shame and the kind of the shame we talked about that every man is carrying. Does anything stand out as the biggest shame that you have overcome and able to allow you to do this work? Great question. Let me just think about myself for a moment. Most people don't ask me about my personal self. So for me, admitting my interest in having these conversations, admitting my interest in discussing my fantasies, my sexual bucket list, you could say, that was really hard for me. 
very hard. I have fantasies. I, I could say my personal fantasies, like I love threesomes and like anal sex or like, you know, thigh highs. Like I have the things that I like, you know, that are, have a real sexual erotic edge turn on for me. That's just my landscape. But like the big leap for me was getting to the point where I could communicate the reality of what my desires were rather than taking what I thought I could get, taking what I thought she'd say yes to, or doing what I thought was comfortable for her and expected of me and playing the part that I thought she expected me to play. Rather than that, the biggest challenge for me was admitting the landscape of my internal erotic sexual nature and being honest about it. That took me until my 30s to really be able to do that. Studying tools, communication tools, intimacy strategies, stuff like that, to finally crack the code of how to bring up these deep, authentic truths in myself and get through my fear that she's going to say no, that she's going to say, ew, that's gross. Oh, you dirty man. Like, that, oh, you're just a jerk. You know, you just want to use me. You're commodifying me, you know, objectifying me. Like I had all my fears of the judgments that were going to happen on me for, by me bringing up my true sexual desires. But by learning the ways to actually bring up the truth of me, I've been able to create a relationship where the context is that my, my wife really knows who I am. She knows what really goes on inside of me, all my dirty little secrets. And in that, I get to relax in a way that I never could in my 20s. I get to relax that like she knows all the truths and she still loves me. She's still here. My truths aren't that bad. And she loves me. And, and actually, we've gotten to explore some of my sexual fantasies. Like, like she likes lingerie. And it's so hot for me to actually get my desire fed in an abundant, generous way by my beloved. Oh my Lord. Talk about winning. That is a win. Now, if I hadn't brought up that I really like lingerie, like I like thigh highs and garters, you know, if I hadn't brought that up, like she wouldn't have known. She wouldn't have gone out and bought it all on her own. So for me, this learning to unveil my inner truth has been my biggest removal of shame in my life. Like now I'm not ashamed of those things anymore. I keep saying over and over that authenticity and vulnerability are superpowers that too many men don't take advantage of. And it's, it's proving it. You have to be your authentic self. Well, then your secrets aren't dirty anymore. They were just your old secrets and now they're shared. And the only thing that cures fear is action, right? If we let fear keep us where we are, that just builds up layers and layers of shame. So congrats on you for taking the action, for sharing these things with your wife. And again, your worst fears weren't realized. The opposite happened, which is usually the case. Yeah. And my fears aren't that bad anyway, but my shame judgments of them were that they're so dirty. Literally, the word is dirty. You know, <laughs> like, like muddy, like, like, ah, you need to be washed and cleaned. Like, like that's the perspective I have in my language, of the English language. Not my desires were valid. <laughs> that's not the word I use. I use the word, oh, my desires were dirty. Well, that's just cultural programming. Oh, we have polished, shiny dreams and my fantasies are so shiny. I'd like <laughs> to share them with somebody. <laughs> well, so when you learn how to bring these things up and create the context of a safe space in your relationship for these kind of difficult conversations to happen, then inevitably what happens is that some of them go really well. She might not be up for all of them, Hell no. Who's going to be a 100% perfect match for everything that you want in your heart? Nobody. That's unrealistic. But for some of the things, yes. And those things that are a match, like she doesn't mind wearing lingerie, she likes it now. You know, That actually shifted that into a playground. What was a shame point is now a playground, a safe playground where we get to... <laughs> 
as wonderful as this is, as adults, we get to play. It's so wonderful as adults to be able to play with each other and experience the joy of revelry with each other's bodies and sexuality and trust because we built that trust. Right. Because it's meant to be enjoyable. It's meant to be a source of pleasure. It's meant to, you know, touch you into the divine, the sacredness, the holiness of our bodies, right? We, we have these vessels only for, we don't have these forever. Right. Nobody gets out of here alive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> true, true, true. We're all going to lose in the end somehow, you know, but, but we don't have to now. And then that's the shame piles on top of that crap too. Right. Cool. So Chris, I really appreciate all that you're doing, all that you've shared. And, you know, what's the best way for people to find out what you're up to, to, to get a copy of the book? Where's the best way to go? I get censored and banned on social media so often that like following me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it's not going to get that much for you. You can do it. Just search Conscious Cock anywhere on the internet. But the best way to actually get to me is go to my website, ConsciousCock.com. Go to the free downloads page, man. There's tons of audio recordings of workshops that I've done, worksheet downloads to do with your wife or your girlfriend. And you can buy my book there. And I got to recommend, get the audio book because you can listen in your headphones and there's no book laying on the table that your girlfriend or your wife or your sister or your mother might be like... <gasps> God, just cock. Oh, that's a bad word, right? Like if you listen in your headphones, then nobody knows what you're doing. So just go to consciouscock.com. So is that adding to a bit of shame though? I can't, oh, I got to keep this book secret. A lot of us don't have the tools yet or a safe enough space in our relationship to have that conversation yet. And the book itself gives those tools. So it depends on everybody's going to know the safety level in their lives, whether or not they're going to get so much blowback from having a book on the table that whether or not it's worth to buy the text. Right. So start with the audiobook, uh, And then before long, you'll be walking around with banners bragging about your conscious cock. I know. We'll make t-shirts and <laughs> we'll <have> badges, <laughs> certificates. No. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thanks, Christopher. Thanks for making the time to talk to us today. Thanks for talking about this everywhere, constantly. Don't stop. Yeah, we got to break through this barrier of shame and the whole notion of dirtiness in our Puritan upbringing because it's not helping anybody. Thank you. And, you know, thank you for having this podcast. And for anybody who's listening right now, I just want to actually thank you for tuning in, like taking any step at all to work on your intimacy toolkit, your relational or sexuality toolkit is going to pay you so many dividends. So like, just keep going, even if it's slow, don't stop. Yeah, wherever you're listening to Real Men Feel, subscribe, share this with somebody, post a review, a comment. You can reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And if you're ready to unpack a bit of the shame you've been carrying, visit theandygrant.com and check out an Akashic Records reading. I don't talk about it on the show often at all. And it's a really way to experience your divinity, your holiness, and again, unpack some of that shame that you've been carrying. Until next time, be good to yourself. Be good to yourself.